Well, hello there, everyone, as you uh, come and join us on this wonderful ride known as the Star Wars EU, or EU, Review. Uh, this is a show here on Phantom Talk where um, we talk about all things Star Wars, all things old canon and the new canon and books and shows and video games and whatever you can think about as we kind of wade through the expanded universe of Star Wars and figure out what's good, what's bad, and what's just downright absurd. Um, here joining me on this journey, as always, is uh, the wonderful editor-in-chief, Jacob Vance Hardesty of Handle Correspondence. How are you, Jacob? Dude, I am I am doing very, very well. Uh, ready to talk about some Star Wars, but... Also, Al, b before we continue on, I did want to do a quick little shout out um, because this is this is probably the last podcast of the month um, for us, just with 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 our schedules. Sure. Uh, when this when this comes out, this will be. Pro I'm 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 going to say this is going to be after Christmas. Um, Whoa! Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what's going to happen after Christmas. I, I know, right? We we got so much, you know, going on, but. Um, I do want to give a shout out though to you and and my wonderful sister Jenny Admin Raven um, on a fantastic Christmas fest, a wonderful wonderful segment to close out the year with. If you guys have not had a chance to listen to those, I know we, you you may be tired of hearing about Christmas movies and things like that, and we've even we've even got at least one and maybe one and a half movies that would actually fit that uh, that criteria pretty good for you, anyways. Um, it's uh, Christmas Fest this year was a lot of fun, and I'm 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 very very pleased with what with what you guys put out, and I just want to thank you all for that. Um, so yeah, I just want to give you all a little shout out, no, real quick before we get started. Oh, no, well, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Um, uh, yeah, man. Uh, for anybody who hasn't listened to it, um, Christmas Fest is just a blast, um, and it's always a of a good time um so definitely check those out me and jenny had a lot of fun with that event this year um and we went to some interesting places given the context of of talking about christmas films so um yeah it should be a good time uh, for everyone involved but um yeah everybody so we are the fan of correspondents and we are here to talk tonight about star wars specifically the old canon book star wars Dark Force Rising, written by Timothy Zahn. This is part two of Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy, um, arguably the most famous and most celebrated of uh, the old canon books. Um, arguably the most celebrated of all of the Star Wars books um, in general, um, regardless of old canon or the new canon. And um, yeah, this is one of those where we're taking each, each piece of the trilogy just kind of year by year. Um, so we're capping off year two of our Star Wars show with exploring um, part two, um, Dark Force Rising. Now, Jacob, this was your first time reading it, if I recall correctly, because this is your first time through the trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, so... Tell me just kind of any um, any kind of preconceptions, any kind of assumptions you had kind of going into part two of the Thrawn trilogy, anything you had kind of known about it beforehand to the to kind of um, hate the backdrop of your 
um, rather, as I say, kind of kind of virginal kind of foray into the throne books. Um, yeah. So the only two thing or the, the, the three things I knew going into this trilogy just in general, um, but definitely within this one, because of having read the first one, I knew three things. I knew one, um, Marge is probably going to come out and be my favorite character. Um, two, Grand Admiral Thrawn is probably going to come out being one of the uh, biggest threats. Okay. And three, Joris Kaboth is absolutely batshit insane. Um, <laughs> and all three of those things, and I, I, I'm going to level with you. I understand that all three of those things are very plain to anyone who has read these books. Um, but I, that was my only preconceived notion was those three things were probably going to be definitives from just having read just the first one. Um, Thrawn had a few more preconceived notions because, of course, with Rebels and, and Ahsoka. But, but yeah, that was that was really kind of the the only preconceived notions I had. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough, man. Um, so this for me, this is my second time going through the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, the Thrawn trilogy was the first set of Star Wars books that I ever read. This. Uh, these were the ones that kind of set me on my on my exploration through um, the old canon of Star Wars books. And so, um, yeah, I rattled this one off the first time I watched it or the f- first time I read it. Um, I read this pretty close. I read all three of them like one right after each other. So um, I kind of like sped through them. And my intention with this one, as we revisited, or at least as I revisited it for um, the show this month, my intention was to just kind of do like a speed read through the book to just kind of like re-familiarize myself with like the plot beats and things like that. Uh, just because, you know, uh, December's always um, a really kind of crazy month. And um, I wasn't sure how much time I'd have to s- sit down and read through it. Um, but honestly, I started to do just that, but I realized a few chapters in that I was just kind of like, oh man, I forgot how much I like this book. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to slow down and just kind of read it and enjoy it because, um, spoiler alert for everybody. Um, I'm like a big fan of this book. Um, I think it does a lot of things really well. I think it um, hits a lot of plot points and develops things really well to an extent that I would say typically you don't get a lot of times in this second book of a trilogy. Um, A lot of times um, the second parts of trilogies are kind of criticized for being kind of slower paced and having to shuffle through more of like um, some of the exposition and setting things up for the grand finale. But um, I think that this one kind of changes that around a bit because uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this book. Um, There's a lot of things that are introduced and are followed up from the last book. And while there's plenty of things that it seeks to set up for the last command, which is the last book in the trilogy, uh, there are still a lot of things that kind of like, 
reach an ebb and flow and kind of a conclusion of its own by um, the end of this, which I think is a really impressive thing to be able to accomplish in this second chapter of um, a series like this. But um, we will get right to specifics about it, though, because um, Jacob, there is a lot to get through in this book. There's a lot of characters in this. There's a lot of subplots that are going on. Sure. But um, I want to ask you just real quick, we try to talk about this whenever we talk about these books, is um, I want to ask you, how did you feel just kind of about, um, especially from your perspective as someone who also uh, uh, who spends his time um, crafting and, and writing a bunch of stories and books, um, how did you feel just kind of about the overall structure of this one just kind of like how it was paced the quality of the prose how did you feel just um you know removing um the context of what it is of the genre of the ip and just kind of how did you feel just about the quality of it trying to tell the story so between i i am intrigued to see what we're Reading this book made me think that I am intrigued to see what we choose for either October or November of next year. Because two years in a row, we have read two old canon books almost back to back um, in, in this segment. And the first one has annoyed me and or just made me just hate it so much. That when we get to Timothy Zahn, I am so happy about <laughs> what is happening as I am reading. So I am wondering what we're going to read next year around October or November. But uh, focusing specifically on this, and I, and I, I promise I'm not going to spend the entire time just shitting all over Courtship of Princess Leia and Shadows of the Empire. But the simple fact of the matter is is that there is a reason that these three books are lauded by so many. Um, and when I first started this trilogy, I will, I will be honest. I don't, I don't know if I said this and I can't remember if I said this in the first podcast or not, but I will be honest. I did not expect to like this book, this trilogy as much as I do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and something drastic could happen in the third one where I'm just like, no, I'm out. N never mind. But as of right now, I legitimately, I legitimately think that this deserves the place for so many people in one in some of the better Star Wars books out there. Not just because they're good Star Wars books, but because they they are just written very well. Um, speaking of the structure, I think that I think this book does a really good job. I'm so sorry about my phone there. I think this book does a really really good job of managing the different characters that it has. Um, I have read books with fewer characters where I thought that the pacing was not as good as what happens here. While here we have, let's, I mean, let, let, let's, let's just count them up. Okay. We have, we have Leia going to the Nagri. We have, mm. and I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that pronunciation until I hear otherwise. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have Leia going to the Nagri. We have, um, we have Luke, and uh, we have Luke going to um, Joris Kabalth. Mm -hmm. We have Han and Lando finding Garmbel Iblis. 
mm-hmm. and his kind of secondary rebellion, for lack of a better term. Um, we have Mara Jade and Talon Card kind of off doing their own thing. And then we have, and then we, we, we can't forget the re, the the title of the trilogy. We mm-hmm. have Thrawn and Peleon just kind of in the back, just doing crazy, crazy stuff, you know, which is <laughs> <laughs> the best way to describe their plot points in this book. Um, but, but the thing is, is that those five, you have, I mean, that's five very separate storylines that all tie in so well together, especially in the finale of this. Um, no, I, I, th- I think the structure of this is perfect, and 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 not not to jump ahead too much, but even in the sense of, I think the structure for this book is perfect as a second part of a trilogy, because the ending of this book, you feel you, you, you the ending of this book simultaneously makes you feel really good in the sense of okay some things are coming together but then at the but then in the complete opposite end of that spectrum you're like but man they have set up for a really interesting finale um and a really interesting final confrontation between the different the various characters here um so no i i think the, i think the pacing and the structure of it was perfect i think they I I really liked that he. It almost seemed it, it was it was almost to the point where, where where Zahn as a writer it was like he knew exactly when to switch off from a from one character to another, because um, there was never a point where anyone overstayed their welcome, and there was also never a point where, once I picked up a new chapter or a new, a new part of one character's story I didn't have to go back four chapters and be like okay now what were they doing, right. it was it was just really really well paced and then that's a. With with a book with this many characters and not just doing a solid like point of view character structure, kind of like Game of Thrones or anything else like that, this was about as good as you're going to get, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it does a really good job as to what you um, have alluded to here, where um, despite having several t- different plot lines all going at once and some of them um and some of them converging on each other a bit more than others do at times um despite all of this stuff going on um at no point is the thread ever lost um at the same time and so like i feel like a lot of times when you get into a lot of books that try to do this kind of thing where like there's a bunch of like independent and interweaving storylines going on. And like eventually, um, um, you know, step A leads to step B leads to step C, even though they're like, they always have like step Z at the end at the horizon. Um, a lot of times it's easy to lose the plot and almost become kind of like, like compared to, to like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of campaign that um has gone off the rails a bit where like you're trying to figure out a plan to accomplish the thing that you're trying to do and the original reason why you got to that point was like 20 sessions ago and you just kind of have to stop and just be like so we need to hold on why are we here again (laughs) what are we trying to do (laughs) and like you have to debrief and review your notes 
And I feel like that happens a lot with um, books that attempt this kind of um, approach to the storytelling. But um, um, I got to say, and obviously, um, to add context, I do have the benefit of having um, read this already. But um, still, I think there's something to say that you can go through this book and read um, the various perspectives of characters and follow them on their own individual quests they're trying to to accomplish and at no point are you ever just like wait i forget why this character is trying to do what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and um and i f- think one of the main ways that zon kind of accomplishes that is really just as simple as having a character as kind of remind you like <laughs> i remember um, at one point you know when han and ando were um, kind of starting to get deviated away from their original goal and were tempted to go in and chase after these, like, uh, these other, like, thieves and smugglers and, and stuff who were kind of tangentially related to what was going on. Um, and it just kind of stopped him and was just like, Han, no, we're not here for that, man. We're here to find what is going on with um, the counselor and like who his contacts are and like that it works and it's so simple but it works on the level of of lando having to redirect han which happens sometimes uh we've seen the need for him to do that before but it also works as a way to just kind of reorient the reader and just be like hey i know a lot of stuff is kind of flying at you at once but like remember this is where these characters are heading and this is just an easy in-world way to kind of remind everybody of what's going on in this kind of offshoot of the story. And so, um, again, it's very s- simple. But like, I think sometimes when authors try to tackle a whole bunch of interweaving storylines, they um, almost try to overcomplicate things. And uh, sometimes it just helps to just be like, okay, no, this is what this character is doing here's a quick reminder of that and now you are free to kind of follow along with everything else that's going on so um yeah if this did not have that then i'm not sure how well it would have fl- it would have flowed if mm-hmm. that makes sense but um yeah so um s- speaking of the plot and of all of the characters um so just a a real quick kind of s- Synopsis here um, is that um, we're introduced to things where, um, <clears throat> um, excuse me, um, so we have our heroes kind of in a fray because they just got done with um, a confrontation with Thrawn, really their first kind of taste of the conflict to come. And um, Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. <laughs> One of my favorite characters um, at the end of the last book, Heir to the Empire, was accused of treason um, against the New Republic. Um, that is kind of the starting point of everything else that happens in this book, almost, is that everything the heroes do is driven by the fact that they're trying to clear Admiral Akbar's name. Mm. So spawning from that is uh, you have originally have all three, both Han, Hando, and Luke Skywalker, um, trying to figure out what is going on with this counselor who's a often um, 
Frela is what I'm going to say. Yeah, that, that's what I've been saying. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's, it's a Fela. <coughs> might be just Fela. I don't know. But <laughs> everyone who's read the book, you know who we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> it's a Bothan counselor um, yeah. who's super weird and shifties. So you know who we're talking about. Uh, they're trying to figure out um, what his kind of hand is um, in all of this because he seems very driven to to capitalize on these um, allegations against Admiral Akbar and try to kind of vie for power within um, the New Republic. So, so they go to investigate that. Um, Aya, towards the end of Heir to the Empire, had made a promise to Calabar, I'm going to say. Um, I... Close enough? Uh, <laughs> uh Cub... Kabarak. Ka- yes. Um, she makes a promise to Kabarak, who is um, a Ogri, who was previously in service of Admiral Thrawn. Um, she had made a promise to him that she would basically go to their home planet and see what she can do to help his people. So she takes Huey and C-3PO and goes and does that. Um... That's where our heroes are at. Um, and as the plot goes on, they discover these these clues and evidence like kind of interlocks with each other, and they find themselves at odds with Grand Animal Thrawn. Um, now, check up. Um, we could spend a lot of time talking about the characters in this book because there are a lot of them, and they do a lot of things in this sure. story. <laughs> um, so instead of dragging this out into like a five hour podcast where we t- talk about our favorite <laughs> Star Wars characters, um, I'm going to do this. Okay. Um, I want you to give me the two hero characters in this book that really kind of stuck out to you as far as their actions, their characterizations and things like that. And, um, um, examples for each of them uh, that kind of serve as evidence of saying, hey, this is a really good characterization. Um, hey, this was a really effective way to tell the story with this character. Um, things like that. So who are two of the heroic characters in um, Dark Force Rising that really kind of s- stuck out to you as being very um, effective in their storytelling? Well, first off, I I have to, as previously stated, I do love Mara Jade. I think Mara Jade is is going to end up being one of my favorite Star Wars characters in the in the old canon in general, and I do think there are ways around bringing her into the new canon as well, which I think we might have actually discussed on a podcast previously. I know mm-hmm. we discussed. It. I can't remember if it was actually if it was a recorded discussion or not, but <laughs> um, but. Um, she of uh, if I had to pick two that I really just loved in this, she is actually not one of the two. Um, <clears throat> the first one I, I'm, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a classic character. I'm gonna pick an, uh, one who was brand new to me, although I'd had heard the name before. Yeah. Sure. Uh, for a classic character, I'm gonna go Leia. Okay. Um, and that is uh, once again, I, I will admit there is a possible bias here for me. 
because I, there there might be an alternate reality where I didn't immediate that where I didn't precede this book by reading a book where I hated everything that every major character I've grown to love over the years did. Um, but Leia and this one just. Do, do you care if I go into story beats a little bit too? Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so Leia in this one, I love. First and foremost, totally forgot she already had a lightsaber, so that threw me off at one point. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but in the in the best way possible because when she brings it out, it stuns the Nogri too. So it worked. It's <laughs> very. It's very... Active storytelling device. It was. Um, it's like it's like having a gun at improv class. It just kind of shakes things up. Exactly. You can't go anywhere else. Um, no, uh, that that was a big moment. That was a big thing for me. But um, but no, I think this. I think this book, and in a lot of ways, it counteracts everything that Joris Kabalth is is telling Luke and it does it really really well where Leia and, and, and what I mean by that is is the idea of what are Jedi supposed to do how are Jedi supposed to act in the world um once again at this point and I'm going to go into this more in my second and with my second character but at this point we don't have the prequels we don't know who the Jedi really were at the height of their power. So we don't have, or more in a more modern sense, we don't have the High Republic. Um, so there's a lot of questions as to how Jedi are supposed to handle situations. When it comes to Leia's story arc in this, I think this is the book that really showcases her abilities as... As a Jedi who has had a background in politics and has had a background in working with large groups of people towards a central goal. Um, because she gets to Hon Honagir. The she gets to the planet of the Nogri. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a weird one. Yeah. Um Honagir is like how how I hear it in my head. I don't know if that's right. Yeah, um, there's something. Let me tell everybody at home real quick. There is something to be said. I mean, regardless of whether you like enjoy or hate books by Brandon Sanderson, there is something to be said of the man who puts like dictionaries and appendices at the end of his books <laughs> to like show you how to say mm. the the nonsense words that end up in the stories <laughs> because every time i read an old canon star wars book i wish we had that <laughs> yeah absolutely um so when so when they go we'll stick with honiger we'll, we'll we'll stick with that um like I'm like I'm trying to say Hanukkah in a really sassy way, um, but uh, <laughs> they, he goes to this planet, which <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 I'll just, let, let that one let that one stick with you for a little bit. Just thinking um, of hey, crazy nights as if it was directed by Tyler Perry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, it's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. <laughs> um, okay. Anyways. Um, Leia goes to this planet that has been decimated, okay? And she and the Nogri all are currently under the assumption that it has been decimated by the 
is it by the Rebel Alliance or by the New Republic or something to that effect? It was um, essentially this idea that when the starships first came to the planet, um, the the crash that came and landed on the planet somehow had corrupted the environment there because it was like a foreign substance that like the ecosystem just wasn't able to tolerate is basically the idea gotcha gotcha okay um i mean okay gotcha so so you have this this idea that or he is under this this assumption that this is their fault okay that this is that the reason that the nogri are now under imperial control because the empire came and saved them with quotation marks um because mm-hmm. even even leia although he still <laughs> that's, that's another thing I, I like about this although he is assuming that this is the rebel alliance or old republic's fault that this planet was decimated he still is like i still don't think the imperial people are 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 here for you know a good and noble cause i'm pretty sure there's mm-hmm. something else going on here um but while this is happening she also is using her the fact that she was the daughter of anakin skywalker or as the, I mean, they know him as Vader, and they worship him as Vader. Um, he is using this to basically lead them to her, to joining the New Republic. Uh, so much so, there's even that the best part of this is when he puts two and two together that what happened here had to be the cause of the Empire. Um, and so you kind of had this kind of small kind of mini miniature mystery in the middle of this book and it fits really really well um the crazy part is just thinking okay th- this book takes place five years after return of the jedi i'm gonna go ahead and let our our stu- our our I'm, i almost said studio audience i'm gonna go ahead and studio let, audience yeah i'm gonna go ahead and let anyone read listening to this podcast Get a number of years in your head of when you think that of when you think this event happened that decimated this planet. Okay, um, it is somehow forty-four years before <laughs> this moment in this book. The reason that is weird to me is because if you <laughs> is because if you is if you look at the Star Wars timeline, that means that this event happens before Episode One. Now, once again, obviously this is this is another reason that there is a part of me that I want to I want to I, I want a Timothy Zahn tell all book. I want a you know what? Just Timothy Zahn. I don't want anyone else. But I <laughs> but I want to know what their ideas were for the Clone Wars and for the older public before the prequels. I want that I want to know it so bad because and that leads into who Joris Kabouth is. That leads into who and what Yoda and Obi-Wan were at this point. Um, and also Vader. Because, Al, am I taking that the wrong way that they are making the statement that Darth Vader showed up on the planet roughly 40 years ago? Was I ta- I might have been ta- misreading that. 
Because I know I know the event that they said decimated the planet happened 44 years ago. But mm-hmm. I don't know when the Empire showed up to to help them. Right. And I think that you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And I think there is I th- think that's where the contention lies there. Um because it is it is unclear when um when um the patriarch of um uh, this planet of this tribe is talking to Leia about the series of events. She she says she says starting out that Ader had shown up um several years before and then later on Aya begins to make the connection that she was not understanding um essentially how long these aliens lived um mm. and what their life cycles were mm. and Aya figured out that um she had assumed it had just been a few years prior, but um, the math came out to um, the contamination happened about 44 years prior. But there's enough uncertainty there that it's not entirely clear when Ader first showed up. So it's it's weird. It's not... It's not out of the realm a possibility to say that the Vader came like several years after their planet first got contaminated, mm-hmm. but it creates a it creates a weird timeline. It does, and again, for everybody at home who's keeping track, this book came out in nineteen ninety two. So yep. this was before, like, we knew anything about what happened prior to A New Hope. We just mm. didn't know. There wasn't anything. Zahn was basically given the freedom to, like, basically build whatever history he wanted to build <laughs> in these books. So, yeah, it's weird. It's vague and it's weird. And I don't think there is, like, an exact answer there. Yeah, and and I think that, like... I, I do not blame Timothy Zahn at all be, 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 for for this, for the confusion, anything. Because like you said, there is there is a confusion because also I, I know there are a lot of issues with the prequels. I think the I, th- I think the the more I have read from from these books and the older I've gotten. And I think I think the prequel should have been set a little bit older like maybe like even if they just went 40 years and not even just because not even just because of this event but of course you know there's the, there is the meme of you know of of how of wh- how did obi-wan kenobi age that much in 10 years you know <laughs> um right. from from the obi-wan kenobi show to new hope and everything um but i think the entire point of them of obi-wan yoda Vader, even the Emperor, is that they were all supposed to be much older than what they were by the end of this. Mm-hmm. 
So I I don't know. I think that's one thing they do kind of. I think that's one thing that the movies kind of fumbled a little bit uh, on that sense. But but with this, what what is interesting is how he is trying to build. He's effectively world building with mm-hmm. with someone else's world because yeah. he's trying to build this concept of how the empire came about. Because as much as I love the originals, when it comes right down to it. You know, they don't give us a whole lot of info on that. What because the, at with that story, they don't really need to. It's just the empire's there. Yeah. Who, cares? To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who cares? Yeah, empire's there. We have to we have to take them down. But with this, there is a lot of discussions over hierarchy of power with you know the emperor's hands and with uh, Thrawn becoming grand admiral. Um, even all the way down to my second character, I'm going to talk about here in a second. And the creation of the Rebel Alliance in Old Canon, um, which is kind of interesting. But it's, but 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 I'm kind of getting off track. The the, the bottom line is I did love Leia and the hiss um, because I I love that she was able to use her ingenuity and use her her wisdom and her ability to connect with people. To effectively tell these people, to effectively let these people know that they they were being taken advantage of, at at best and at worst they were literally slaves basically. Um, so, but at this point, I mean, like you said, they're um, with their lifespans and everything. A lot of them were raised into that, so they don't really know any different, anyways. Um, which is horrifying when you really think of the implications of that. But that's why Leia's character works so well is because she is not only saving effectively our entire race of people and showing them how they can do better, but she's also we're we're still moving the plot forward really, really well, and we are bringing in another force to fight to to help fight against Thrawn and the new Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really liked Leia. The the second person that I really was intrigued by in this, and I had heard the name in other, I don't know, books, uh, Star Wars miniatures, different card games. They, they, he has shown up in other things, but Garm Bell Iblis is a very interesting character to me because if you don't know, he was the he was the last. Um, he was the last older public senator for Corellia. And one of his last major acts was that he joined in the first rebel, the first stage of the rebel alliance um, to fight the emperor. But then apparently, and because the older, the more I read and the, and the older I get, the more I dislike this character, he hated Mon Mothma so much that he just could not do anything within the Rebel Alliance. Um, now, granted, I don't know. I, I can't. <laughs> it's kind of vague on, on exactly how, on the personal problems that they had with each other. Um, you know, so I don't know if it was more so Mon Mothma hated him. He hated Mon Mothma. But, I mean, the older, I mean, the more I, I listen to this, I mean, because, of course, Mon Mothma's entire thing throughout this book is, you know, we should we should trust Fela. Yeah, we we shouldn't trust the the war hero, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with Bell Iblis on this. But 
But no, the the reason he's so interested to me is I I like the fact that he has this mindset of if I, even if I can't join with the main Rebel Alliance, I am still going to be on the side. And I'm still going to be fighting to save the po- the pockets of the of of the galaxy that I can. Um, because they talk about they, you know, I mean, for for the most part, yes, they are. Uh, that honestly, they're kind of described in a lot of ways, like almost like a like a commune of like smugglers and mm. and spice runners and stuff like that. But they, um, but one of the things he does talk about is he's like, I, I want to give people a new home. I want to give them hope when they have nothing else, um, which sounds a lot like basically every other character we know and love within this series. Um, so no, I just, I, I, I don't have as much to say about him as I do about Leia beyond just the one. I think he's interesting. And I think that he, his story is interesting within the, the context of, he was very high up in the, in the old Republic, uh, Senate at that point. And, him and Mon, let's say what you will about her. Him and Mon Mothma were two major people within within the Senate and within the the different politics of of, of the galaxy to openly speak out against the Emperor. Um, which even which even in the new canon that is that is still something that is factually accurate. Um, so yeah, no, I I, I just really liked Bell Eblis, I, and I and I like the fact once again it's another it's another one because that. That ending, there, there's there's a part where it's just it's it's there's a part where it seems like it's the ending to the, to the Rise of Skywalker, where it's just all these different <laughs> groupings are coming together to fight against Thrawn, and it's a really really cool moment. Um, but you know, then but then all of a sudden, with with the with a very quick revelation of who is actually wearing the stormtrooper armor is when you're like, Oh no, this is not going to go, go well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but anyways, yeah. So, so those, those are my two. I, I, I apologize. I feel like I've spoke too much. Uh, Al, what are, oh. who are, who are your two, who, who are two that you really enjoyed? Um, no, no, it's okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Iblis is a really interesting character. He's interesting in this. Um, he goes on to be a very prominent character in uh, the Jedi Academy trilogy. After oh, this as well. Um, so um, eventually, when we get to those books, then um, he'll come up again. But um, yeah, even this is interesting. I just want to say real quick about him. Um, because Iblis also, um, pretty much up until the point he shows up at the end to help um, assist the New Republic, um, Iblis also has kind of a kind of a harder edge to him as well. Mm. There's a point where Han is talking to him and his people, and it's heavily implied that you know his people have scaled back their raids on the Empire because they're kind of um, conserving their resources to see who they are going to have to fight next because the possibility of of going to war with Othma is like not 
completely out of the question for him, which is yeah. kind of an interesting point. Um, Iblis very much strikes me as a type of character who I think they wanted Herrera to be mm. in the new canon, is to be that kind of guy who was um, entering hiding um, against the Empire from day one, who uh, was willing to take kind of the alternative um, or dangerous kind of risks um, that other people in the Rebellion um, uh, refused to take, um, and that kind of thing. Um, um, I think Saul is not as effective of a character in that capacity. I think they go a little bit too off the rails with him a lot of the times. But uh, Iblis is interesting. Uh, he is for sure. So, like, I wonder when they were uh, creating characters for the new canon, I wonder how much of that uh, was kind of an inspiration for Saul. But um, that being said, though, um, the two characters I choose um, as my characters who um, I really enjoyed in this. Um, so Luke Skywalker in this. It's crazy that the last old canon book we read before this was The Courtship of Princess Leia, <laughs> in which I probably spent too much time talking about how, like, just detached, unhinged Luke Skywalker is in that book. <laughs> um, like, he feels like he's just... Just... T- disassociating from what is going on around him. And then you get to this book and you read about him. And even just in the first chapter from his perspective, he already feels so much more like his character. Um, Just in like the small interactions he has with Ando um, following the battle that happened at the end of Heir to the Empire and stuff. You know, he's going, he's like, he's picking up on Ando. He's like, he's making jokes and like trying to game plan with him and reaching out to his contacts and stuff to like see what else is going on out there. And he's engaged and he's obviously, you know, he's still Luke Skywalker. He's still the man who overcame the Empire. But he very much is still a character who is in the world that he's in, and he he's trying to be a part of that world. And so many times we've already talked about where Luke Skywalker in the old canon <clears throat> feels like he is very much not a part of the world. He feels like very disconnected. He feels very aloof. He feels almost as if this like he's like this hyper spiritual kind of character who's trying to untether himself from the people around him. And I just really um, appreciated going back to some of Zahn's stuff and going back to these kinds of stories that treat him as the human that he is, that treat him as a character who does feel ties to other people. He does feel um, the weight of his, his calling for sure, but he's not obsessed with um, the ideology behind it. He's just kind of like trying to figure out ways he can help and trying to figure out ways he can like um, um, eventually 
protect the twins and eventually help his sister and eventually um, recreate the Jedi. These are all things he wants to do, but he's going about them in more realistic, grounded ways where he's still a part of the world that he is in and he wants to be um, aware of the conflict. And so just the way that he's handled in this is so good. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, um, of course, um, uh, on the courtship of Princess Leia, even though, even though chronologically it takes place before this, um, it, um, the book itself came out after this. And you kind of have to wonder because it's hard to not see parallels between um, that version of Luke Skywalker in that book and Horace Kaboth in this book where um yeah. where you know he's very much he's he's living in his own kind of stratosphere he's like he feels very disconnected he uses himself all the time and like the thing is Horace Kiboth is like the bad guy he's like an insane <laughs> insane evil dude and so that, to me, uh, really increases how interesting it is to see them interact with each other and to see who kind of struggle to reconcile um, what he's trying to do and the problems that he's trying to solve, uh, which are very real, very tangible things that he feels called to figure out and work through, um, how to reconcile that with this man who's supposedly like the last remnant of the Jedi and is supposed to be the legacy that he should want to be a part of. And yet there's such a disconnect there as far as how to use the force, as far as what the role of a Jedi is, how the Jedi should view the world and view the people in the world. And so um, I really enjoyed those interactions. I really enjoyed seeing Luke trying to learn from George Kaboff, trying to figure out what there is for him to learn and appreciate uh, while still constantly kind of feeling called to return to the memories he has of the other Jedi he knew and how there's a difference there. And so I thought uh, that that was just really interesting and it really helped to draw a stronger characterization of Luke in that that we often see uh, on this era of O'Kanon books. Um, and then the second character for me, honestly, this could surprise some people because there are so many great characters in this book, but I love Ando in this book <laughs> because Ando and Dark Force Rising and honestly, over the course of all three books, I've been completely honest. Ando is a man who is just dragged against his will along for the ride. And he's trying to make the best of it. And that is an incredible role for him to play, right? Because um, it's kind of the reversal of how we see him in the films in a way. Because we see him and he's being like controlled and um, basically extorted by Darth Vader into betraying his friends. 
and things like that. And he's in this situation where he doesn't have a lot of control, even though it seems as if he does. He seems like he's a man with a lot, and he seems like he's a man who can control things, uh, when in reality he's being controlled and extorted by horses outside of his um, um, influencing capabilities. Whereas in this, um, it's very evident that he's not in control. He just gets dragged into these insane adventures to, to the point that he complains to the other heroes in this story. And he just like, <laughs> to the point where Han or Luke will ask him for advice and will just be like, well, Ando, how do you feel about this? And no Carizian is just like, it feels like I'm being sucked into a conflict that I do not have a vested interest in, and I just want to go home and run my company. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that version of Lando, <laughs> because at no point does he allow that to stop him from being helpful. He doesn't allow that to like take him out of the game like emotionally or psychologically in any way. He's there and he's present for anything, for everything, and he takes an active role in trying to figure things out and trying uh, to take care of the allies uh, that he finds himself with. And he's just he's such a trooper in these books, man. He just he just takes everything with like a sly comment and he just kind of goes with it. And it's great. And there are points in the book. Um, throughout it where Ando actually proves to be one of the most useful characters in these conflicts <laughs> because he's the one who like he knows who everybody in the underground is he can easily kind of direct Han and Luke to the people that they want to avoid and to the people that they might have a shot with um, as far as allies go and things like that um, he he offers up ideas and advice on how to get out of situations. And it just really shows, uh, he's an example of the fact that the characters in this book are given opportunities to show where their strengths are. Um, and that helps their characterization so much. Because you have Leia in her situation where her strengths in courageousness and her and her compassion for others, and her insight into how politics and politically minded um, individuals work, and it allows her to kind of solve the history on that planet and kind of recruit people to their cause. And you have Luke, who's very thoughtful, who's very perceptive, and that helps him kind of navigate what's going on in the various situations he finds out with. And Han is able to, to adapt to things, and he even says that, like, you know, he has a skill for a cannery that other people don't. And Hando is able to just kind of take these in stride and provide a lot of insight and wisdom. And just all of these characters just really showcase their strengths. And Zahn is really good at creating scenarios and making very natural opportunities for them to show why they're characters that we care about. And so, yeah, it's just a breath of fresh air. Zahn is just such a breath of fresh air after we've had so many of these books just like 
it's unclear if they even knew who the characters were <laughs> when they started to write the books. But like, uh, as I've often said to Josh, um, here, fan of correspondence who has some issues with Zahn, um, mm. and some of the things he does, you know, um, whether you agree or disagree with his stories or characters, um, you you can't deny that Zahn loves Star Wars. Like, he loves these characters. He loves the stories that are being told. And that's just really, really evident in the way that he treats the characters that he has, um, as well as the ones that he creates. So, um, yeah, man, it's just great. It's good stuff. Um, now, um, all that being said about our heroes, I'll turn it back to you, Jacob. Um, and tell me what you think about the two antagonists of this story and how and how they can kind of be compared and contrasted as to the type of villains that they are. Um, namely, of course, talking about Thrawn and um, Joris Hiboth and what um, each of these enemies kind of bring to the story. Sure. So I... Uh, I'm glad you clarified because the first thing I was like, I w- there are three if you count Fela in my in my opinion because well, God sure. is yeah. annoying. Um, but um, but no, I think it's <clears throat> Thrawn is really is 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 an interesting character. I I, I definitely cannot deny that. Um, you know, there there's a reason that he is. He has grabbed so many people over the years, and ha- and everyone loves Thrawn, I guess, as a villain. Um, and I think it's because... I think it's because he almost has no weaknesses. I think it is, the, it is that sense of... It, it's the inverse of Superman, in, in the sense where, where it's like, crap, I mean, he's... How can he be stopped? You know, and... I think when you create a character like that, you you have one of two options where either A, you do make them overpowered, and and because of that they become stagnant and boring, or B, and what you get with Thrawn is you make them very complex into why they are so good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And and how how do they challenge our main characters so well? And in this and in this case, they do because they, when you really start to look at the Empire, and and Thrawn as a character as well, they each have the exact same mindset and the exact same goal of just complete and utter domination. But at the same time, they are so. They're so self-confident. I mean, I mean, Luke even says your overconfidence will be a down, will be your downfall to the Emperor, and he's not wrong. They are so confident in what they are going to do, and in the fact that they can win, that they cannot see. They cannot see what is happening underneath them. Now with Thrawn, I don't know. I I do not know how this trilogy ends. The the only excuse me the only thing I know about the about this trilogy that is ending and spoiler alert is that the twins are born at the end of it that is the only thing I know, um, 
I don't know anything else that happens. I don't know how Thrawn is defeated. I oh, and, and I know Thrawn is defeated. Okay, those are the two things I know at the end of this. Um, <laughs> or is he? <laughs> or is he? Hmm. Um, but because of that, that is what that is what I'm intrigued to see in the third book from him is will everything fall apart when things stop going his way so so clearly um because as of right now it's he is as of right now he's getting a, he's getting dealt an extra card at the table in in my opinion every every single hand and that's kind of the the mindset I keep getting from him because he's cuz he's so damn annoying with how with how you know a a simple like like oh this this senator had a had a muffin in the commissary and, instead of eggs for breakfast. Well, I know exactly what they're going to do. Like that's the that is the that is how Thrawn works. And the thing is, is that it would be the most annoying superpower if it wasn't so effective every single time. Um so, so no, I honestly, I love how utterly ridiculous he is with stuff like that. I really do. I love the fact that there is a point in this where he picks the one Nogri who came back from Kashyyyk, and the moment that he slightly misses a check-in because Chewbacca's like, dude, I'm just going to straight up shoot you because I don't trust you right now. And the fact that that happens and Thrawn is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know exactly. I, I'm pretty sure that means that he connected with Princess Leia somehow. Now Princess Leia is following him back to uh, to Hon Hongir, and um, yeah, we're we're, we're going to put an end to that right now. The fact that, that entire subplot happens because he happened to notice this one Nogri over here is utterly insane. But that insanity is why he works so well as a character. Um, so yeah, I I cannot say enough good things about Thrawn as a villain in, in that sense, in that he works so well as this overarching feared villain that you're just you never know where he's going to be next, you never know what he's going to do next, because you keep constantly feeling like you are just a piece on his chessboard. And that's why he works so well on this. Even to the point where at the end of this book, there is a point where, I, I mean, of course, the, the the entire finale is contingent on who is going to get the most ships effectively. Mm -hmm. um, because suppose, because there's this, there's this fight over what we learn is called the Katana fleet. Mm -hmm. And, they were the supposedly these. I'm not going to give you the specifics, and because I, I can't remember everything, but supposedly they were these really, really good ships that were made during clone during the Clone Wars, mm -hmm. and they were also supposedly lost due to like this virus that made everyone go insane. And it, 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 there's a there's a whole extra extra thing there, but <laughs> really, really good ships that either the New Republic wants or Thrawn wants. Basically, whoever gets them first pretty much has a massive head. Uh, heads up in in the secondary galactic civil war pretty much mm -hmm. um when thrawn thrawn gets there and basic like 
it it happens very very quickly. Please excuse me. Um, it's okay. But I know I know I know it ends I know it ends up where he basically gets most of the fleet because the because the New Republic are pretty much solidly focused on like the ten or fifteen they can see. Am, am I am I misremembering that or? Um, it's it's not so much that those are the only ones that they can see. If it gets that. Um, by the time they arrive at the Katana fleet, um, Thrawn has already s- stolen a majority of the ships. That's, that's right. Y- yes. Y- yes. Okay. Because he captured um, the captain who knew where the ships were. Yes. That's okay. Yeah. I completely, I completely forgot about that small part. Yes. Cause it's, 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 uh, Talon cards old, um, associate or something they worked together mm-hmm. previously and that's how he found out okay yes um so yeah i mean i mean that right there i mean w- once again he's literally three steps ahead of them at that point um and of course like like it's it's funny because like as i'm reading it i'm like okay well i mean if half the empire is gone i mean having that many ships isn't really going to help you out anyways and then literally almost as if zon was writing it like like I know you're all going to think think that. Which is which is another reason that he's a good writer is because he doesn't write he never writes down, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um he never writes thinking like, well these guys are idiots. I'm gonna have to spell this out for them. He writes very plainly, but in a way that in and in a lot of ways elevates the story because of that. Um so no, it's 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 almost like in this. In, it's almost like you're you're waiting for for the for the other shoe to drop, and sure enough, it does. When you find out that the vast majority—I mean, we're, it could be all of them for all we know—but uh, what we know is that they they capture a couple stormtroopers, or or no, they take a couple stormtrooper bodies on, onto the ship, or some some somehow they find stormtroopers that when they take off their helmets, they are all clones of each other. Mm-hmm. And that is the moment that you go, oh, so that's how he's going to get his army because he can already clone them. And that is a terrifying assumption, um, especially once you it's and it's in it is a terrifying moment that is actually aged very well, because if you have watched seven seasons of the Clone Wars <laughs> and two seasons of the Bad Batch, you know that if these guys are put into the hands of someone who actually wants to do some damage to the galaxy, we're in trouble. Um, you know, because the worst clone is still, in my opinion, worth like three or four battle droids. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, in fact, I think I'm underselling them. Um, the more, the more I think about it, but. Uh, but yeah, so so I'm I'm very intrigued to see where he goes in the third one because by the end of this, it's I simultaneously was happy with the force that the New Republic was building, but I was also like, we're still in trouble though, guys. Like we're not out of this yet. Like let's not, you know, let's no no, you know, we 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 can go we can go take a small nap and maybe get some food, but we we still got to get right back to it. Um, 
in this third book. But speaking of clones, that leads that's a perfect segue <laughs> into <laughs> the other villain of this piece. Um Joris Kabouth. Joris Kabouth is really interesting. Um for a lot of reasons. One, I have I want to read the Outbound Flight book now. Um mm. We, uh, I think that I think that'd be a good one to do sooner or later. Um, I'm once again. I keep trying to put myself in the shoes of someone in 1992 reading this, um, in the sense that they, at this point, what we know from the Jedi, because because honestly, let's take Luke out of it because Luke isn't really like the standard Jedi at this point. Luke is the new Jedi. And so what we know is we know we know Obi-Wan, we know Yoda, and we know the things we've heard about Anakin. Um, George Kabath also drops that there were other dark Jedi that joined Darth Vader, apparently, in the old canon. Um, which would be insane, Except for now, except for now, I'm just like okay, Inquisitors. I guess that's where that idea came yeah. from. But yeah, um, yeah, that I like the hands of the Emperor. Um, yeah, I also thought of as kind of an old canon parallel to the Inquisitors we have now. Which are things I'm I'm re- I want to know more about. I I I honestly. There will never be a point where I will say that Disney buying Star Wars was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I do think there are some there, there are new canon books that are good. There are new canon books that are bad. There are new canon books that are some of the better Star Wars books I've ever read and some of the better books I've ever read in general. Um, and so I will always say that, that it was a good thing that that happened. That being said... I want to know so much about the old canon, old Republic um, and about the way things originally were supposed to go down, which I mean, technically that's not even a Disney thing that that's pre prequels kind of situation. Um, So yes, I I will. I I know I'm, I'm being a dead horse on that, but, but I will, I will always say that I want, I want to know more about that. Um, but no, Joris is really interesting because he is just the inverse of everything we know about the Jedi in that sense. He is but because of it, he he tosses these very He tosses these different these different things that are very that are, they they are they are very much just like, oh, he he took at least one course of intro to the to philosophy. Um of, you know, well, if you do a bad thing to help someone else, then are you truly doing a bad thing? And then Luke's like, yeah, you, you we don't read people's thoughts for us. <laughs> we don't, we don't force someone to do something against their will, even if it is the right thing. Also there, <laughs> there's a point where Luke's like, yeah, okay. You, you, you ran into a fence or something. All right, cool. Be, because, because there's a point where he basically has Luke on a throne Answering like tithes and questions from from these people on this village or in this village, he's basically and, having him be um, 
Solomon from the Old Testament. He he is. That, that, that's exactly, is it is a it is a mix of like it's a mix of like Solomon and but also like he's like a duke of of the of the property that he hit that he hit that Joris has and he's like I'll let you sit in the chair and decide it today you know kind of situation and. So there's a point where this guy apparently just like ran into this other guy's fence with I, I guess a speeder or something. Which I mean, you know, God knows that. I mean, those are difficult enough to control as it is. And Luke's like, oh, okay, um, yeah. I mean, just you know, I mean, if if you could pay him for wh- what he owes you, and then <laughs> I, I can go check and see if there's any actual damage to the fence tomorrow, and I'll I'll let you know if if we need any more help or anything. But I mean, once again, I have the force. <laughs> so I could probably just fix it myself. Um, so yeah, I'll take care of that. And then when they both walk off, like, oh, okay, sweet, thanks. Doris is like, why didn't you just pull the thoughts from their minds? And you're like, shit, Doris, like, <laughs> half a second. Like the situation was dealt with. Like whenever the guy picks up the um, picks up the blaster and he you know uses force lightning on him, at least in that sense, you're like, okay. Maybe he should like like you know go for the force push as a as opposed to the force uh, lightning you know taser first then the handgun but like I I don't know man you know uh, on in this at least it's self defense but in this situation they were just like talking like it's I th- I think that's why it works so well is because Luke has maybe a chapter and a half. Uh, and, and I know that there are points where he's affecting his mind. He even talks about that, where where he's basically he basically just sounds like like a teenager who just really wants to take a nap and does not feel like doing holidays. Um, but the but the but I do love the fact that basically, like after like uh, like a chapter and a half, he's basically just like, yeah, th- this guy's kind of the worst. Like we're gonna we're gonna have to figure something else out here here soon. <laughs> um. So no, I, I just I I I love Joris Kabath for how absolutely insane he is, and and I love him as a villain because he does kind of strike that that aspect of it. Also, because it's just he's basically Star Wars Rumble Stiltskin is is another thing because he just really wants the twins to be there when they're born, um, <laughs> which is creepy as hell, but works really really well. Yeah, Churskavoth. I mean, um, I don't have a whole lot to add about Thrawn. I mean, he's he is um, the character he is because he's well executed. Yeah. Um, and and I um, mean, you know, I love the um, um the small details that pop up in the story that like reinforce um, why Thrawn is as good as he is. Um, after he hears about the possibility of obtaining the a ton of fleet of ships. He um, he changes the projections of the art in his office to reflect the art that was from the culture of the engineers who designed a katana fleet. Mm. And that's just kind of a detail that like is passed over in that chapter. But like, it's just, I don't know, it's just a small thing that reinforces, like, who he is and, and why he always seems so, uh, uh, to be as prepared as he is all the time. But, um, yeah, Turis Kavath is really interesting. Um, 
I think, in my personal opinion, he is as cool and interesting in this as he gets. Um, um, to, to not spoil anything that happens in the last book, but um, that's where the storyline of Joris Kaboth really kind of goes off the rails. Um, anybody who knows the Throne trilogy knows exactly what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, man, he's interesting in this because um, I talked about it a bit before, the contrast between where Joris Kaboth is and where Luke Skywalker is trying to be says so much about um, the struggles that Luke is having as far as knowing the true role of a Jedi, as far as trying to figure out how best to, how best to use and understand the Force. Um, and it's interesting, Zod is really good about, like, <laughs> about planting the seeds of things early on in the book. There's a scene that stuck out to me this time upon rereading it, where um, where Han is with Luke um, on Lando ship, and they're being chased by a bunch of TIE fighters. And Han is just like, hey, Luke, is there any chance that you, know, you can, like, use the Force to, like, screw up their brains a bit, like you did in the last book? And, um, and Luke is just kind of like, I, I think I could, but, like, I don't think that's a good thing for me to do. Um, and he's like, and, and, like, he's saying that, and it just kind of shows that he is kind of trying to work through his powers and the way um, that he can use the force that's um, good or that's bad or that's kind of towing the line. And he cites that as kind of an example of something that he thinks kind of crosses the line for him, that that is not a good thing for him to do. Um, and so you um, flash forward a few chapters and George Kiboth is just like, well, you could just steal the thoughts out of their minds if you want to. Like it was an apple pie in the window to cool. Uh, <laughs> and Luke is just kind of like, I don't think that's the right thing to do. <laughs> um, and so like right there, it shows uh, just kind of an outgrowth of that where Luke is just like, look, man. Me and my friends were about to be like shot down by TIE fighters and it didn't feel good for me to reach out and affect so many minds at once. Um, I was <laughs> uncomfortable doing it when those were the circumstances. Um, th this was an argument over like $25. <laughs> so like, I really don't think now is the time to just like, to just steal the memories out of someone's head. Like I'm like in charge of like the weapon X program or anything. Like <laughs> I don't think I should be doing that. And, um, and, um, at first there's almost this undercurrent of their interactions where you're just like, why is he even like giving this guy the time of day? It's like obvious that, He's unhinged. It's obvious that he's evil. It's obviously it's obvious that he's abusing the force. And so the part that really I think was great for explaining things in the story and also kind of 
bolstering the power of Joris Kaboth as a villain as well is when Ara Jade comes to that planet to ask Luke for help. And she has one of the um one of the Isola Erie, the little little dudes who block out the force. The little dudes, yes. Yeah, yeah, the little dudes who do that. <laughs> um and um, she has one of those. Um and as soon as Luke enters kind of like the the EMF field almost um, that shuts off the force for him. He suddenly realizes that like, Oh, the reason I've been struggling with George Kabat so much is that he is just emanating this dark side energy that like hogs my mind and causes me to struggle with, figuring things out like that's literally a part of Joris's character is that he is like using the force to like screw with how people think when they're around him um and i thought that that was really cool i thought that that was a perfect very early example of the kind of like expansion of how the force works that i was hoping to learn about and like the old canon stuff to like see the different ways the force can be used. I thought that was a really cool example of that, of that, like, uh, like, you know, he's so, he's so influenced by the dark side that like the confusion and the chaos is like radiating out of him and um, affecting the minds of other people. I thought that was really interesting, but, um, but um, yeah, we will see where George Skiboff goes in the next book. Because, um, yeah, he goes some places. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, man. Um, now, as we wind down, we've pretty much covered all of the beats of the story. Uh, there are some characters we haven't really had a chance to talk about just because there's so many characters in this book. Um, I love the character of Alan Carta. Um, I love that he names his ship after himself. <laughs> I think I think that's incredible. I think that's an incredible thing to do. Uh, he's like a real housewife of Orange County. He's he's amazing. Uh, <laughs> like he's awesome. Um, and so like he plays a really interesting role in the events of the story. Um, Ara Jade. This book really starts to show the transition that she undergoes from being an antagonist really into being more of like a neutral gray character and kind of lays the seeds for her to kind of have a more full um changing as the books go on um so there's a ton of characters in this that are great but um as we wind down though um we have our two classic questions that we always ask at the end of the episodes um and that is what was your hypest thing that happened um, in this story and um, does this story qualify uh, as part of your grand canon which is a project we're doing where we're kind of picking and choosing things from the old canon and from the new canon to kind of um, solidify what our 
ideal version of the Star Wars timeline is. So we do that with every episode. Um, so Jacob, I'll toss it over to you. What moment from this book stands out as your hypest thing that happened that just got you so hype and excited about it? Um. So <laughs> it's I, I feel bad because it's gonna, it's gonna be a contrast of what you said of, of the things you said about Luke, which. I, I completely agree with you. I love Luke's journey in this. I love that it is a it is a who am I as a Jedi, not just who am I as a person, who am I as a Jedi? How do I even go about doing this? Where do I go from here? Um, when should I use the Force? How should I use the Force? Should I throw my lightsaber, open up the, uh, through the window, swing it back to me, thus sending eight different stormtroopers out floated into the abyss of space? Yes, <laughs> I absolutely should. Um, that is the, for some reason, I don't know why it's such a small moment, but it's just like... It, it's just like for some reason Han doesn't have a blaster and all Luke has is his lightsaber and all those stormtroopers are right there and Luke was just like I've been I've been trying to get my environmental kill trophy all day anyways so he throws it and it just it's just one of the most perfect just Star Warsy action things ever just throwing the lightsaber knocks the window out closes the airlock, the lightsaber comes through the airlock just like it, like the Indiana Jones hat grab kind of thing, and all the stormtroopers just float out into space. It's just, it's, it's perfect. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so, so yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be my pick. It's a very small moment, but it was one that, like, the moment I read it, I was like, well, that's my pick, because that, that's, <laughs> that, that's been more, the, that's been the moment of, in a book of good things, that has been the moment that has brought me the most joy. So, <laughs> so that's my pick. <laughs> very nice. That's a good choice. That's a very good choice. Um, <laughs> speaking of Luke's lightsaber, something suddenly on on me as i was reading this um yeah. and it's a detail that i completely glazed over um last month when we read the courtship of princess yeah um but i wanted to go ahead and bring it up here because it's not so much as like taking a crap on that book i think as it is that's like a little kind of imdb fact kind of thing about the books um so in the courtship of princess at one point um the author is describing luke turning on his lightsaber and he describes the color as being a white bluish color um which is not right Right, because it yeah. takes place after Return of the Jedi, and he has his green. And throughout this book, it's repeatedly described by Zahn. He's just like he turns on his green lightsaber. Um, the hallways, which were once dark, were covered in a green light from his lightsaber. And so I don't know why, but after reading that so many times in this book, I totally had had a point where like the camera zoomed in on my face, where I was just like. Oh my God! This that is I'd say it was blue in the last book. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe I didn't realize that when I was reading it. 
there there was a lot else going on in that book. But <laughs> we were just like, you know what? Yeah, sure. But his anyway, lightsaber that being, flew now again. <laughs> his lightsaber's blue. I decided. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, all that being <laughs> said, though, um, the the part in this um, that got me the most hype. Um, and I will preface this by saying I just recently rewatched um, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, with a friend of mine. And we're going through and watching all of the Star Wars things. Um, I recently rewatched episode three, Revenge of the Sith. And I bring that up um, to show that I am a sucker uh, when it comes to Star Wars stuff. I am a sucker for when R2... T2 shows how badass he is. Mm. Um, uh, because, of course, there's uh, the famous scene in Revenge of the Sith where um, R2-D2, not equipped with any traditional forms of self-defense or blasters or anything like that, um, like he sets like two super battle droids on fire and slowly kills them <laughs> using just the oil within his body and like yep. the jet boosters on on his feet mm-hmm. and it's incredible and i just love that kind of stuff with r2 uh, there's a point in this book um where Ara jade has gone to talk to luke skywalker and ask him for help um there's this very tense confrontation between her and luke and horace kaboth uh, where George Kibath is just like, you aren't going anywhere, because he's just lost his mind. And he just, like, throws rocks at them with the force. <laughs> just like a psychopath. It's actually kind of a genius move on his part, because, like, they do have the little dude with them who cuts off the force. And so um, if he had shot lightning at them, it would have stopped. So it is actually very smart on his part that he throws something where the momentum will continue to carry the giant rock into their bodies. Um, But he's just throwing rocks at them like he's Terra from Teen Titans. Um, And and they are saved. The chips are down. Both Aura Jade and Luke Skywalker are unsure about how they're going to get out of there. And what happens... But R2-D2, just chilling in Luke's X-Wing, um, uses the turrets on the X-Wing to shoot at Joris and disrupt him. And there's a point right after that happens where Joris is like unconscious on the ground and Luke is just kind of like, he, okay, he's alive. R2-D2 wasn't aiming to kill him. And I just kind of imagine R2-D2 and the X-Wing just being like, oh, I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, no, he threw up his shield with the force when I shot him. I I was trying to kill him. (laughs) But no, no, that was me. My bad. (laughs) I love that part. It's great. That is a great part. Um, Because, yeah, man, it would have been so easy to have just been like, and then... Luke Skywalker was just a cool guy and and fought off George Kiboth with the Force, but now I was just like, and then R two D two saw his opportunity. 
<laughs> I was just like, mm, yeah, this is the one. <laughs> this is the one. But um, yeah, that does bring us to our final question of the night, Jacob. Oh, my dear friend. And that is, does Dark Force Rising by Timothy Zahn, um, does it find a place in your grand canon of Star Wars events? Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be weird to, you know, have the first one and not have the second one. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, definitely. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a good book, man. Like, it's just mm-hmm. the, the testament of good in my opinion, good books based on other IPs, the testament of them is would you also just read these if they had different characters and if they were just about any other story? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with this one is that this is currently the first two so far. Like, like they they succeed really well because they are really good adaptations of the characters we already know, but they're honestly just good stories. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, no, the second one is definitely... It's definitely my grand canon. I got you. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, now I do have to ask. Um, it still gets a place in your grand canon, um, despite kind of the weird historical inconsistencies it brings up. So, yes. And and here's here's what I would do with that if I was going to say it is my grand canon. I would either say that it is um, either A, it is something that you are meant to read in the sense of knowing it is not truly what happened, or B, in a more fun way, it is Wet Antilles' really weird fever dream when he got sick one time. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's <laughs> which. <laughs> which actually leads leads really, really well because, I, because I'm fairly certain uh, – Whatever series it is where he marries a bird lady, I'm gonna say the same thing about that one, and that's gonna be even funnier. So, you know, yeah, I'm I, I'm gonna stick with it. Yes, it is part of my grand canon. Go on, okay. Consistencies. Okay, I see you. I see you. Um, yes, that is a character that we kind of glossed over um, because he is in in it a super lot in this book, but um. Uh, we but do get some. We do get some wedge and Tillies in this book, and let me tell you, man, Wedge is one of my favorite characters when it comes to old canon stuff. He does. He he's always cool when he shows up, and he does some wild stuff. Um, J- Jacob was not having a stroke when he said um, <laughs> that there's a Star Wars story where he. <laughs> where he I'll say he gets intimate with Hell yeah. a bird alien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is a real thing. That is a real thing that happens. Um as far as the Yoda Cannon books, that's actually the X trilogy of books that take place after the Thrawn trilogy that that happens. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so I am ready. Let's so, do it. Yeah, year three of Star Wars EU or Year Review might have a lot more Wedge and Tilly's coming at you. So, <laughs> so we'll see. But um, yeah, man, it, it's see with Dark Force Rising and whether or not it, it goes into our uh, grand canon of Star Wars events. Um, I will tell you this right now, Jacob. 
Um, this is the last book in the trilogy where where his question is fun because the last command um while i still think is a very good book um it does some things canon wise that are irreconcilable with other things in the new canon that we love and have already said are in our or in our grand canon so this book is the last time we get to have fun and just be like oh yeah like i'll take it i'll change like this one thing or i'll do like a spin of an interpretation on this one thing that happens in the books and it'll be fine uh this is the last chance with the trilogy we get to do that with Um, (laughs) because the last command says some things about what happens in star wars Uh, so so yeah so So intrigued (laughs) so we have some things to kind of contend with in uh the last century of the trilogy but um for right now um it's really interesting to think about uh, because things with thrawn are getting very real uh we have the things happening in this trilogy in the old canon uh we have thrawn showing up in live action now in this Oka show he is sure to play a very large part in upcoming star wars um, stories and projects so we're starting to see a little bit of where uh the new canon stuff while obviously very much being inspired by some of the larger stories in the old canon uh we're starting to see where those stories and those characters are really starting to diverge from the old canon that kind of inspired it um i will say that thrawn's treatment in the new canon rebels cartoon um is actually very very strongly um inspired by what happens in these books um he he like has a thing where he studies the art he has a thing where he kind of like has specialties in securing ships for the empire um, he has he has Rook as his bodyguard. Um, so like a lot of this, you can definitely tell that Zahn was one of the writers that Eloni drew a lot of his inspiration from. Um, all that to say is that um, I think I'm going to say that, yes, Tark Force Rising is going to grab a spot in my Grand Canon because I think it does a lot of things really well i think it introduces a lot of really cool characters i don't want to think about what my grand canon would be if if it didn't have characters like town and carta and or jade in it Mm. um and that's really where you start to see like the substance of those characters kind of come up as in this book um you know we have some polishing work to do on some of the things that talk about like the history and the timeline of stuff in this book for sure but um i think this one does uh, receive a spot uh, just because it does have old canon characters that have become very important to me so um it wins a spot there but um but yeah everybody that um that question is going to get really interesting next year when um and we do the last command 
because um, it's very much a book that is just, especially now in retrospect, it's very much a book where it's just like, um, okay, uh, do you want your future of Star Wars to go this way towards the old canon, or do you want it to go this way towards a new canon? Because <laughs> um, things are not going to end the same way that they do. So, <laughs> so it'll be interesting. It'll be cool. But um, yeah, um, Jacob, as we close, um, any last thoughts about um, Hard Force Rising or uh, the Thrawn trilogy up to this point in general that you'd like to share? Um. I mean, up to this point, I mean, literally this, the only, the only thing to say, I mean, of course I kind of said at the beginning, but it's just like, this is the, this is the first, the, this was the first book that made me understand, like, to an extent, I get why people would be upset if these things were taken away from them, um, just because the, it is that good, um, do I entirely agree? No, probably not. Um, because I because I do think like like you like you said there are certain things in the new canon that are just they're 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 too good. You know they they are they are things that make Star Wars what it is for me. And to not and to have a world where I don't have that, I'd be upset. But this was the this was the first book where I can at least empathize with with anyone who's like oh this. When Disney deleted the old canon was was when I stopped reading or when I stopped watching, you know, which I don't agree with that entire sentiment, but at the very least I can understand it because this this trilogy is really really good. Um, when we get into other things is is when I might be like, you know, I I kind of you know m m maybe maybe I don't agree with them so much, but for right now, <laughs> for right now, I will I will stick with that. Gotcha, I got you, yeah man. Um, yeah, just imagine all the people who grew up in the EU and are just like, ah, oh, when Disney, when Disney acts the old canon, I heard the screams of characters I knew as they died. <laughs> <laughs> but, I remember. I remember. <laughs> they do not die in vain. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, <laughs> for sure, man. This is, uh, you know, I'll always be very grateful to my wife or a variety of things but um i mean this instance i'll always be very grateful to her that she'd definitely pushed me in the direction of um these books when i decided i wanted to read the um expanded stuff for star wars um, um i talked about it last month on the show um, but there was a brief time where she was just like yeah yeah I really enjoy the Thrawn trilogy, and I really enjoy um, the Courtship of Princess Leia. And I was just like, "Oh, well, we already own a copy of the Courtship of Princess Leia. I'll just start with that." And <laughs> my wonderful wife was just like, "Or you could probably start with the well, Thrawn trilogy." Start with this instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, okay, cool." But uh, so I'll always be uh, very grateful to her for that because. Um, um, yeah, man, it's um, it jump started um, this whole thing in a lot of ways. Um, the reason why we do this show, we do these episodes about Star Wars, is because I, I decided to read these three books. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, so there's that, but um, but yeah, um, with that, um, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed um, the book as well. 
Um, this is the last episode we are going to do for 2023. This year has been a ride. Thank you, everybody who who has endured that ride with us, <laughs> right alongside us, because mm-hmm. um, we very much appreciate it. Uh, we have a lot of stuff coming in 2024. Um, we I think we can officially announce, or at least we've we've alluded to it enough. Uh, we can officially announce um, the Star Wars EU or E review will be returning for season three. Absolutely. Uh, so, so look forward to that. Um, um, at the end of next year, of course, we will be finishing out this trilogy. But before we get there, we have a lot of other projects we're going to be covering, um, including um, next month in January, we're finishing up um, the first wave of High Republic books um, with um, the Fallen Star. So um, um, if you are the type of person who kind of reads along, hide us as we do these episodes, that is what we're reading for January. It is um, the Fallen Star from Star Wars High Republic. So please uh, feel free to join us for that as we cover it. But in general, everyone, this has been year two of Star Wars EU or E-Review. Thank you so much, Jacob, for always being there um, to, to share these episodes with me. Um, thank you everybody out there who shares them with us as well and, and who hangs out with us um, every every month. Uh, we really appreciate it. And in the meantime, everyone have a wonderful holiday season. Uh, be safe and take care. And may the force always be with you. <laughs>